Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Canada loses its bid for a seat on the United Nations Security Council. The result may not be the one we had hoped for, but we are proud of the campaign we conducted over the last four years. I want to thank all of the countries who supported Canada in its bid to the Security Council. Jagmeet Singh says he stands by his actions after he was kicked out of the House of Commons for calling a Bloc MP racist. Why can't we act? Why can't we do something to save people's lives? We can do something. And why would somebody say no to that? And getting ready for tonight's second Conservative leadership debate. I think what we, uh, what we saw tonight was a range of ideas on important subject matters, from the economy to veterans to the environment to how we come out of COVID-19 with specific plans to rebuild our economy. It's Thursday, June 18th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. John, thank you for being with us. Morning, Mark. I don't think anybody is overly surprised that Canada didn't win a seat on the UN Security Council. That seemed to be the way things were pointing for a long time. Uh, But what does it mean? Does it mean anything, first of all, that we didn't get this seat? Does it reflect on Canada's status in the international community? Well, I think, you know, the average person in the street doesn't couldn't care less, but I think it it was a goal of this government and it will be seen as a bit of a black eye not to not to have got the seat. But as you point out, it's not a total surprise. I mean, I remember talking in February to an academic, uh, Adam uh, Chapnick, who's at the Royal Military College. He'd written a book on Canada and the United Nations Security Council. At the time, he called it the right decision made at the wrong time and for the wrong reasons. And what he meant by that was that there are good practical reasons for Canada to to seek a seat at that table, uh, to have a you know it's an important voice in global peace and security. Um, We have been traditionally been members of that temporary members of the Security Council, not least of which under uh, the current Prime Minister's father. But the the decision was it was the, the the right decision at the wrong time. The wrong time because Canada came late to this process. And Norway and Ireland had already uh, declared their interest, as, as had San Marino. And it meant that Canada was up against two European nations. They, they would have dominated the European votes, which meant Canada had to go fishing in vote pools in Africa and the Caribbean, oftentimes with regimes that were uh, somewhat distasteful to Canada, to Canadian values. It meant we were we were chasing the game the whole time because we entered late. The wrong reasons. What he meant there was that Justin Trudeau politicised this from an early stage. This was not in the Liberal platform in 2015, but he had declared that Canada was back, and it was seen that there was no greater symbol of Canada being back than winning winning a seat on the Security Council. I think that that uh, he made that decision personally. I think he wears the loss of that seat. What I find interesting is how much capital was expended, political capital, uh, international uh, visits and and meetings and discussions and and uh, and contacts, uh, how much it was expended on what turned out to be a lost cause and what many people considered to be in the final stages and throughout uh, an uphill battle. So often in politics, uh, you'd see somebody bail on something earlier than this, right? 
Right. I mean, in, in February, when I wrote this piece, it looked like we were not going to win. And at that stage, the Prime Minister could, I suppose, have said, right, let's let's lower expectations, downplay our, our efforts, and, and I personally won't get involved. But they did quite the opposite. I mean, they, they really ramped up the effort. And, and in the last little while, Trudeau has been phoning, you know, tin pot dictators all over the all over Africa. You know, he travelled to Ethiopia and Senegal uh, in the spring, and you know, I think you could position that as saying, "Well, look, we've reconnected with members of the Francophonie, members of the, the Commonwealth." But that wasn't the goal. The goal was to win the seat, and we didn't win it. So, I mean, it's it's hard to position this as anything other than a, a real setback for the Liberal government's foreign policy. You know, and that's on the back of a lot of other setbacks from China. I was in China when we went to look for that free trade deal. And, uh, you know, it was a bit of a, it was a schmozzle. They, they thought they were going to get something. They got nothing. India, you know, it goes without saying. Saudi Arabia. I mean, just about every major engagement on, on the foreign policy front has been a bit of a disaster. All right, let's turn to the Conservative leadership race. Last night was the French debate. Tonight, it's the English debate. What were some of the takeaways for you from last night's French-language French, French language discussion? Well, I think the main thing was, was could the two major protagonists speak French sufficient to take part in the leadership debate with uh, the leader of the bloc and with Justin Trudeau? Um I think the jury is still out on that. Although, to be honest, I was quite surprised at how proficient uh, Erin O'Toole and Peter McKay were. I, I, I was, I think, pleasantly surprised because uh, when McKay re-entered politics, when he when he declared his leadership, he was quite frank that his French had got pretty rusty. And I thought they were they were um, you know they were proficient enough to, to be able to to hold their own. I think in a in a debate they would probably get uh, shown up by Trudeau and, and Blanchette but they were okay and um, you know the other two candidates clearly were less so Derek Sloan and uh, uh, Leslie Lewis she has just started learning French this year so it was no great surprise that she had to read her answers and you know in, in some cases misinterpreted the question and answered that may, read out the wrong answer she had a book of you know set plays already and, and uh, so it was a little bit embarrassing for her I think she will shine a little bit more tonight in the, the English le language leaders debate. I mean, I'm sure she she knew this that Quebec was a bit of a write-off. It's not clear that you can win this contest without Quebec, be just because of the way the um, the voting structure is set up. Every riding is 100 points. So even ridings with tiny riding associations in Quebec have the, have the same weight as Calgary Centre. Yeah. Uh, so so it's it's going to be a bit of an uphill struggle, but I think that um, that you know it really wasn't the, the the content of the debate so much last night as the language proficiency. Anything to watch for tonight in terms of the dynamic, in particular between Peter McKay and Aaron O'Toole? Well, I thought that that O'Toole started out pretty confidently, but McKay came back into it, and you know McKay is the front runner by by just about every measurement from from opinion polls to uh, fundraising to the number of MP endorsements. So O'Toole really has to come out swinging. I think he, he really has to to uh, to go for it tonight. And if he doesn't get draw blood from McKay and McKay's, you know, still standing and looking 
leadership material, then uh, then it may be up for uh, it may be up for O'Toole. You know, the other thing is if if Leslie Lewis is a very good knight, there's no nothing to say that she could not overtake one of these two. And if she overtakes one of these two, it's not, there's nothing to say she could win the whole thing. You know, if she survives the first ballot um, and survives the second ballot, then she could win the whole thing. But, uh, you know, I think that last night was a real setback for her because it did reveal her weakness in French. All right, let's turn to what happened in the House of Commons yesterday. Uh, many different exchanges. We had Jagmeet Singh, the NDP leader, accusing a Bloc MP of being racist. The Bloc, meanwhile, has accused the Prime Minister of treating the country like it's his kingdom, behaving like a king rather than someone who's accountable to Parliament. Uh, what are your thoughts on all of that, especially as we are now in the final uh, moments of, of, the, uh, of, of the sitting of this committee before it breaks for the summer? Yeah, well, I thought yesterday was a, a particularly inglorious moment for the Parliament of Canada. Not just the uh, the Singh uh, outburst with the, the Bloc MP. I mean, there is a bit of bad blood between the uh, the Bloc and the NDP right now. I think, you know, they're fishing from the same pool for voters in Quebec. The thing that galls me is that that kind of belligerence is not being shown by uh, Jagmeet Singh towards the Liberal Party. And they... they they formed a pact in late May uh, over the return of Parliament, and, es- and essentially, um, the NDP allowed the, the Liberal Party a free hand when it came to Parliament in return for vague promises on paid sick leave for workers. Now, Christian Freeland in the House of Commons yesterday said, "Yes, there's st- still our intention to to go ahead with paid sick leave, but it requires the." the connivance of the provinces, and the provinces have been pretty cool on this idea. I think British Columbia might go ahead with it, but provinces like Nova Scotia think it should be left to the collective bargaining table for sick leave. And even if they do go ahead with paid sick leave, the Liberals will get the credit and the NDP won't. I think that the NDP have sold themselves short strategically. And in return, they've given Justin Trudeau free reign over Parliament. Now, yesterday was the supplementary estimates. It was $87 billion worth of spending. And even though uh, Jean-Yves Declos, the Treasury Board President, stood up and said, yes, well, most of this spending, 90% of it, has already been okayed by Parliament in various other bills. Even in those bills, there was no great scrutiny of the spending. It was an emergency measure, and the spending sailed through. Yet, under normal circumstances, this spending would be sent to a committee where witnesses could be called, they would have all the time in the world, they could reduce the spending or even cancel it if they felt it was unjustified. That's the way our parliament works. It's almost the most important thing that MPs do. That's safeguard the public purse. And yet none of that has happened because of this pact between the NDP and the Liberals. The In four hours yesterday, $87 billion was just waved through, rubber-stamped, with only the most cursory look at what was actually in the spending. And I think that was a, a real tragedy for Parliament. And, and at least we could wonder what the NDP's for. You know, they, they'd shown their hand, they'd bargained away their independence. And to me, um, you know, if Jagmeet Singh wants to change the world, he might as well join the Liberal Party. Very interesting to hear your comments on all of this today, John. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay, thanks, Mark. That's John Iveson of the National Post. The result may not be the one we had hoped for, but we are proud of the campaign we conducted 
over the last four years. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In McLean's, Scott Gilmore argues the UN Security Council seat loss is more proof that Canada's foreign policy establishment is incredibly weak. Gilmore writes, This country does many things well, but international relations is just not one of them. Our politicians are never elected on the merits of their foreign policy ideas and as a result never prioritize when in office. This was true under the previous government and the government before them going back decades. It has been pointed out endlessly. Hands have even been wrung, but nothing changes, because ultimately, none of us genuinely cares enough to do anything about it. In the Globe and Mail, Ian Scott and Kent Roach argue the RCMP cannot continue frontline policing if it isn't responsive to the communities it serves. They write, Governments are reluctant to tread on police independence, but this is not defined in the RCMP Act. It should be. And the police must be subject to civilian and democratic control, including on use of force policies. The public is entitled to see the rule of law applied fairly to all. But these are symptoms of larger problems, including the RCMP's archaic and undemocratic form of governance. In the Hamilton Spectator, David Cantors argues we should take away some burdens placed on police. Cantors writes, We expect police officers to do jobs for which they are neither trained nor equipped. Most days, police do not deal with any violent crime, but are instead expected to be mental health crisis professionals, conflict negotiators, social workers, sexual assault specialists, and marriage addiction or grief counselors. We should take away some of the burdens we have put on them, enabling them to focus on protecting our society from violent crime. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. After last night's Conservative Party leadership debate in French, the four candidates will face off again tonight in English. As CPAC's Martin Stringer tells us, there will be far more to watch from the leadership contenders. Mark, most people agree last night's Conservative leadership debate was constrained by all four candidates' limitations in Canada's other official language. Tonight, though, you can expect Peter McKay, Aaron O'Toole, Leslin Lewis and Derek Sloan in English to thrash out their policy differences far more vigorously and effectively. And there's one issue on the official agenda that wasn't there last night, the role of social conservatism in the party. It's one the party has to deal with in choosing a leader and charting a path to electoral victory. Leslin Lewis and Derek Sloan identify themselves unabashedly as social conservatives, and they draw much support from that part of the party's base. They've been raising issues such as abortion, same-sex marriage, and medical assistance in dying during the campaign. But since those issues tripped up the outgoing leader, Andrew Scheer, in the last election, many people in the party want them put behind them. But at the same time, frontrunners, Peter McKay and Aaron O'Toole, will have to decide how much they will cater to social conservatives, who on the first ballot will support Sloan and Lewis. For the party and for the debate tonight, it will be a critical moment and a critical decision. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will host a call with provincial and territorial premiers, followed by a news conference to give an update on the COVID-19 situation. This afternoon, he will attend the sitting of the Special Committee on the COVID-19 Pandemic. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, June 18th. Tune into CPAC and CPAC.ca throughout the day today for continuing coverage of the coronavirus crisis. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.